Good morning. My name is Muriel Cora. Today's scripture reading is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It can be found on page 983 of the Black Pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or you know someone who needs one, please feel free to take one of ours as our gift to you. Again, that's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Please stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Uh, as I said, this morning we're going to be looking at one of my absolute favorite passages in Scripture. One of the benefits that I get is um, in preaching periodically, so not, not every week, I get the, the benefit of preaching in a series where I don't have to come up with a topic. That's really nice sometimes to just be said, hey, this is the next Scripture that we're going to be preaching on. You get to do it. Awesome. I'm excited about that. That takes a, a lot of the guesswork out. Not guesswork, but kind of one less thing to do. But I also get to do things like this, where it's kind of a, a one-off or a standalone sermon, where I get to pick whatever I want to talk about. Uh, and that's, that's really nice. And so that, that's where we get this morning. This morning I got to pick, and I picked this poem about Jesus in Colossians 1, where Paul lays out some really big foundational truths about Jesus. These truths here, they're not unique to this passage alone, but they are clearly and beautifully stated here. My outline is very simple. In fact, it's the same as my sermon in a sentence. It's that Jesus is the creator of all things, Jesus is the sustainer of all things, and Jesus is the reconciler of all things. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer, and reconciler of all things. And since he is those things, we are to submit to him, to walk with him, and worship him. Because he is creator, sustainer, and reconciler, we are to submit to him, walk with him, and worship him. 
The passage starts in verse 15 with an incredible and somewhat confusing statement. Paul says, if you'll look with me, verse 15, he says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The first part there, he's the image of the invisible God, is a mind-blowing revelation. Until Jesus' first coming, God had not been seen. God revealed himself to many people, and in many ways, but always partially, and specifically without images. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is not to make any images of God, not to include images of God in worship of God. And this is because any image that we make is supposed to represent something else. But any image we make of God cannot fully represent who he is. It's impossible. So therefore, any image that we make would not be God. And we would be worshiping or using something in worship that is not God. Only God is God. He's the only God, and he is who he is. And only he is who he is. No image can represent that. So we're told not to. And then we get here that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That, that's to say Jesus perfectly represents God. Perfectly reveals God. It's to say Jesus is God. The image of the invisible God is God made flesh. The invisible God made visible. To see Jesus is to see God. My prayer this morning is that you and I would see Jesus more clearly, more beautifully, and therefore we would worship the triune God more fully. I want to quickly address something from this text that's been taken uh, many times in the wrong way and, and used to make Jesus something less than God. It's an old heresy. It's taken many forms over the years, and it comes from verse 15, when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn from creation. Some have looked at this and said, it says it right here. In fact, you may have had people knock on your door and say, look, it says it right here. Jesus is the firstborn from creation. Therefore, he is created. Therefore, he is less than God. He's a, maybe he's a created God. Maybe he's something that's closer to God than the rest of us. But he must not be fully God because he's created. It's an old heresy, um, and it, it comes out in, in many ways. And I want to assure you, and from this very passage that the heresy comes from, it's not true. Paul makes it very clear that it's not true. The reason it can get a little bit confusing is because we as human beings are stuck with the language of human beings. Now that language has been given to us by God, and so we can know true things about God. But that language is limited. So we come to passages like this, the firstborn of creation and the son of God, and we take that as we understand things. We only understand sons as existing from and after 
fathers. That's the only way we can understand it, because that's how things work for us. This is not true with God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Always and eternally. This just is who God is. God the Father has always and eternally begotten the Son and sent the Spirit. God the Son has always and eternally been Son and begotten by the Father and has sent the Spirit. And the Spirit always and eternally has been the Spirit sent by the Father and by the Son. We have a triune God that we worship. We know this because God has made it known. God is knowable because he has made himself known. But God is not fathomable. We are not able to comprehend all that God is. He's too big. He's too great. Our minds are too small. Our bodies can't handle all of who God is. But he has made himself known. But it wasn't always true. God in his infinite wisdom chose to reveal himself more fully by sending his son into the world, by taking on creatureness, by revealing himself as the image of the invisible God so that we can see him more clearly, we could love him more deeply, and we can be with him more fully. This passage here tells us in particular about the second person of the Trinity, that is God the Son. He is creator, sustainer, and reconciler of all things. So first, let's look at Jesus as the creator of all things. Look with me at verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This answers our question about that old heresy of whether God can possibly be a created thing, whether Jesus can be a created thing, or in what sense Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. If all things were created by Jesus, then Jesus cannot possibly be included in all things. He must be different. He's the creator of all things. This is only true of God. In John 1, 1, in John 1 3, it says it like this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. To say that God created everything and all things means that anything that is created is not God. Everything that is created is created by God. God is the only one uncreated. If Jesus is not a created being, if he created everything, he must be the uncreated one. He must be the I am, the self-existing one. He must be God. And as God, Jesus created all things. He created everything in heaven and on earth. He created the heavens in the sense that he created the universe, the galaxies, stars, solar systems, planets, black holes, 
supernovas, asteroids, Amen. comets, and anything else that we haven't yet discovered. He is the creator of all of it. But he's also the creator of the heavens in the sense that he is the creator of the place where God dwells with the invisible beings. That too is created. Heaven, as we think about it, of being with God, is not in an eternal thing, meaning it too has been created. God is so different, so other, that he does not exist in space like we understand him existing in space, like we exist in space. Even heaven himself is created by God and for God and through God. He created all things. He created the invisible things that we're so curious about, yet scripture gives us so little about. Maybe that's to keep us more curious. Maybe that's to keep us on track of saying, this is what you need to focus on. But he's the creator of angels, the creator of demons, the creator even of Satan. Everything created by God. He created the things on earth, this is a little bit easier for us to grasp. Everything that we look at here on earth has been created. And we understand that because we've seen lots of things begin. We've seen lots of things start. We've seen people start. We've seen cities be built. We've seen nations rise up and fall. I mean, not we necessarily personally, but we as in humanity, we've seen incredible things. We, everything we see has a beginning. In fact, everything but God has this beginning. God created it all. Jesus created it all. Genesis tells us that he created it good. To say it a different way would be to say that God does not create things that are bad. God only creates things that are good. Here, Paul says it like this. Not only did Jesus create everything, but everything was created through him and for him. So since everything is created for himself, he would not create anything that is not good. Everything that is created, God created good. What does this mean for you and me? One very basic thing that it means is that we are created. We are creatures. We are not God. You may say, well, of course we're created. Of course we're creatures. Of course we're not God. But sometimes we need to be reminded of this. And sometimes we need to be reminded that this is a good thing. We are created in the sense that we are limited. All of us are limited. God has created us with a certain capacity. And when we try to exceed that capacity for things, when we try to operate like we are God and we can do anything, it only gets us into trouble. It is good to be reminded that we are limited, that we are creatures. And it's good to be reminded that that's good. Oftentimes we think, man, if I could just run everything... If I could just control everything, even in my own home, everything would be better. If everyone did exactly what I wanted, when they wanted, 
everything would be better. It's so tempting to think that. And then God humbly and graciously reminds us it's not good for us to be in control of everything. We mess it up. We are not God. We are not creator. We are created. It also means we don't get to determine our own purpose. Jesus has made us for himself. We exist not for ourselves, but for Jesus, and all of creation exists for Jesus. This means we don't get to determine what is right and what is wrong. We don't get to determine what we get to do with Jesus' creation. Instead, we must go to our creator and ask him, how should we live? How should we use your world? We don't get to take Jesus' place as God and live how we want. Or, at least, we don't get to do that without consequences. No part of God's creation gets to do that. Angels who rebelled suffered the consequences and were kicked out of God's presence. Satan, who wanted to be God, was removed from heaven and will ultimately be thrown into the fire. Adam and Eve, who wanted to be God, to be like God in the sense that they wanted to decide what was good and what was bad. They were removed from the garden and death entered creation. These are acts of rebellion against the creator. These are acts that use Jesus' good creation in ways that were never meant to be used. You and I do this all the time. We call it sin. And the world is full of it. However, when we follow Jesus' intended purpose for our life, when we submit to our Creator, things work the way that they are supposed to. If you try to use a hammer to unscrew a screw, you will only ruin things. Not because a hammer is bad, but because it was never intended to do that. However, if you use your new Black Friday power drill, I didn't get one. But if you do, you'll wonder, why did I ever use anything else? This is how it's supposed to work. Those of you that are handy, whether it's working on houses, or cars, or gardening, or really anything in particular, any specific set of skills, you know that using the right tool makes a world of difference. And you know that using the right tool in the right way makes a world of difference. If you give someone who doesn't know how to operate a drill a drill, they don't know what to do with it, and it doesn't help. Or if you try to use the wrong tool, it makes things very difficult. This is the same in using God's creation in its intended way. When we use God's creation, when we operate in God's creation in the intended way, it makes a world of difference. This has many implications in our lives, but it means that we must submit to Jesus in our own lives, with our own time, with our energy, with our emotions, with our sexuality, with our money, with our desires, with anything else we can think of. 
It means we must use the rest of God's creation in ways that it is intended to be used. It means we must care for God's creation because it was made for him. That means we must care about other people because they are created for him. We must care about nature because it was created for Jesus. All of God's creation was made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. That means we must care about it all because we were made for him. Second, let's look at Jesus as the sustainer and the governor of all things. Look with me at verse 17. A small little verse that has incredible implications. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Jesus is not an absent creator. He did not, as the deist would suggest, create the universe and all the rules that govern it, and then step back to be an observer. Instead, not only is creation dependent on God to exist, to be created, but all of creation is continually dependent on God to continue to exist. Meaning that if Jesus stops willing creation into existence, creation stops existing. God is constantly involved in his creation. He has made both all the systems that work, and he has made the systems work. What I mean by that is God has made the incredible weather cycle that brings rain, that causes crops to grow, that nourish people and animals. He created that system. And he is the one that causes it to rain. He is the one that causes crops to grow. He is the one that nourishes people. God has made both our respiratory system that enables us to breathe without willfully breathing. Now some of you are willfully breathing. (laughs) And he gives you each breath that you take. Our response to this, God sustaining everything continually and always is both simple and difficult. It is simple because it is just to acknowledge our dependence on Jesus and to walk with him. To acknowledge our dependence on Jesus and to walk with him. It's difficult because those of us that that strive to do that and to know Jesus know how easy it is to forget. We are dependent creatures, unable to do anything without God. We are unable to make it rain. Or to make it stop raining. We can dance until it rains. Or we can dance until it stops raining. But it's God who does both. We're unable to make the earth rotate. Or to stop the earth from rotating. We're unable to make plants grow. We're unable to make our bodies work. Without God, we are unable to do anything. This is not to say that because we are dependent beings and unable to do anything, that we should just sit back and pretend that God does everything without us. 
God calls us to be responsible and active participants in his creation. But instead, it is to acknowledge that we are wholly and desperately dependent on Jesus as the one who holds all things together. And as I think about being dependent on Jesus, and as I acknowledge that I am dependent on him, I am uncomfortably aware of many times in my life that I don't even acknowledge God. It's not uncommon to get so immersed into whatever it is that I'm doing that I forget that it is God who enables me to do that. This is true of mundane things like doing the dishes, household chores. It's even true of things like serving God, like preaching, serving in the nursery, doing evangelism. It is easy, at least for me, to forget that God is with me and sustaining me in doing that. I tend to try to do things on my own and in my own strength. And then God graciously reminds me of, his dependent, of my dependence on him. Many of those times come when I realize that I am helpless. And sometimes God graciously reminds me of his presence and his beauty and my dependence without a crisis. We are desperately dependent on God. And just as we ourselves are dependent on God, we are wholly dependent on God for others to change as well. It is God who sustains all things and for whom all things exist. It is God who governs all people and all things. This means we are unable to change our spouses, something that all married people are hopelessly aware of. Yet many of us spend an awful lot of time and energy trying to do just that. It means that parents are unable to change their children. We are called to love and to train and to steward. But it is God and God alone who saves and who changes. We are unable to change our bosses, our coworkers, our neighbors, our parents, our enemies, or anyone else. We are entirely dependent on God. I think that the way that this is supposed to play out is to pray, and to pray without ceasing. Since we are dependent creatures, we must cry out to our God, the creator and sustainer and governor of all things. He has the power to bring rain. So when we need rain, we pray for it. He has the power to raise up nations and bring, up, bring down nations. So we pray for those who oppress others to be removed. He is the one that brings children to him. So we pray for the salvation of our children. We should cry out to God for any, anything and everything. And we do this continuously. To be in continual conversation with God throughout your day. To be aware of his presence with you always. To some of us, this may sound weird. To the others, you're thinking, well, who else would I talk to? The reality is that God is present with us always, everywhere. 
I want you to imagine that you spend an entire day with a friend. The whole day, from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to sleep. Some of you are just terrified. You're like, I don't want to spend that much time with anyone. I need a break. If that's you, stick with me. Imagine that throughout your day, your friend helps you with things. He points out parking spaces. She reminds you of tasks that you need to do. They help you cook dinner, help you work on your job. They help raise your children and many other things. You spend the whole day with this friend. Now imagine that you only talk to this friend three to five times in that whole day. You talk to him for 30 seconds at each meal, and maybe once or twice throughout the rest of the day. And as you went through your day, several times, you even forgot your friend was with you. Even as they helped you, you forgot that they were there. This is ludicrous, right? This is not what we would do when we have a friend who's with us. And of course not. When we see someone, when we feel their presence, we acknowledge it and we are grateful for it. Yet, this is how many of us operate with God. We call on him only when we realize that we need something. We're thankful to him only when we're about to eat. What would make much more sense with this friend, what we would experience with this friend, is that you would talk with your friend throughout the day. Some of it would be deep conversation about things you might be struggling with it. Others would just be casual conversation as you do your tasks. You would thank them for their help, for their suggestions, for their guidance. You would thank them for the things that they do for you when you would ask them to help with things that you need. And even when you weren't talking, some of us can talk all day, others of us can't. But even when you weren't talking, you would be keenly aware of their presence and you would enjoy them. I think this is what it's like to pray without ceasing, to acknowledge our dependence on God and to walk with him. To go throughout our day and enjoy his presence. Whatever it is that we're doing. Whether we're actively talking to him or not. We are dependent on him. And he is with us. However, we're all aware that this is not how life is. God's creation either doesn't realize that it's dependent on him. Or it knows that it is and it wants to not be. Sin has impacted everything. The curse is here. It's infected everything. And this brings us to our final point. Jesus is the reconciler of all things. In this final section, we're just going to be hitting some of the highlights of our passage. But look with me at Colossians 1, 18 through 20. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul turns his attention now from creation to the new creation. This new creation, this reconciling everything to himself, is done through the cross and the resurrection. This new creation focuses, at least here, mostly on the church, but it includes all things. As God created in the first seven days, the pinnacle of his creation was human beings. In this new creation, the pinnacle is Jesus. Everything has been leading up to that moment for the second person of the Trinity to be born, to die, and to rise again. And the result of this is that Jesus is seen as preeminent or the most important. Jesus has the first place in all things. And as he does this, as he lived and died and rose again, everything is reconciled to God. Since Jesus is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things and the reconciler of all things, then he is the most important in all things or preeminent. The one who is worthy of our worship and gratitude. The one who is to be considered first and most importantly is none other than Jesus. Since Jesus is preeminent in all things, that means he should be preeminent in our lives as well means Jesus is the most important thing in our life. He's the most important thing in our marriage, in our parenting, in our work, in our leisure, in our eating, in our exercise, our ambition, our desires, or anything else that I left out. Jesus is the most important. Now, we might ask ourselves, in what way has Jesus reconciled all things to himself? I understand God creating all things and sustaining all things, but in what way have all things been reconciled to himself? Is this some sort of universalism? Does this mean that everyone will be saved? Well, here in this passage, we get at least two ways that Jesus has reconciled all things. First, and that's what this passage is mainly focused on, is the saving of sinners. Colossians 2, or sorry, Colossians 1, 21 through 22, if we continue our passage, it says, And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus has taken sinners who have rebelled against his good rule. And he has forgiven them and presented them blameless to the Father. He washed them clean in his blood, forgave all their sins, past, present, and future. He forgives every time they forget him, every time they purposely try to rule their own life. And he makes it as if they have loved God with their whole heart 
and soul and mind and strength perfectly. And he makes it as if they have loved their neighbor as themselves perfectly. He has repaired the relationship that has been broken. For this, we worship. For this, we are thankful. We have endless things to be thankful for. God created us. Take a breath. God gave you that breath. Be thankful for that breath. God gave food. Food tastes good. Amen. Amen. Be thankful that God gave food and that food tastes good. God gives sunrises and sunsets. God gives rain and sunny days to play in. God gives family that loves us. Opportunity to work and to grow and to learn new things. We have endless things to be thankful for. But the greatest thing that we have to be thankful for is that Jesus saved us through his death and resurrection and gave us new life with him. We get to experience God's presence with us now, and then we get to look forward to his presence with us fully, to fully see God. Jesus is the reconciler of sinners. If this is not you, my encouragement to you is to be reconciled to God in this way. To put your trust in him, in his death, in his resurrection for your sake. To turn from your sins and follow him. Because the second way in which Jesus reconciles all things is the fact that he makes all things right. This is not talking about forgiveness, but judgment. This is reconciliation in the sense of fixing what is wrong and making it right. Every sin will be accounted for and will be dealt with. Every rebellious angel will be dealt with. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. And everything will be made right. All sin is dealt with, either by Jesus' miraculous and gracious and merciful sacrifice, or by the judgment that God will bring when Jesus comes back. As we transition to communion, I want us to come to the table of our Creator, Sustainer, and Reconciler. I want us to submit to his good rule as creator, to acknowledge our dependence on him and walk with him. I want us to enjoy his presence. I want us to remember, remember the cross that has reconciled us to himself. And again, if you are not a follower of Jesus, please don't come to the table. Instead, be reconciled to God through salvation. If you want to talk about what that would look like, we have Matt and Stephanie up here in the front who would be more than happy to talk with you and pray with you. If you just want prayer in general for something that you're going through or to talk with someone, again, come take advantage of people to talk to. Talk to Matt and Stephanie. Talk to others.
Let me pray, and then we will come take. We, can, we have communion up front um, that we will come and take. If you need more time, you can bring it back to your seat and meditate. Up in the balconies, we have communion up there uh, provided. If you are unable to get up for whatever reason, uh, maybe you're just holding a baby, raise your hand and an elder will bring communion to you. We want everyone to be able to participate in the Lord's table. So let me pray, and then we will take. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for taking on creatureness, for becoming a human being. We thank you for living and loving perfectly and then willfully dying so that we can be reconciled to you. Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes to see Jesus. We thank you for showing us the vileness of sin and showing us the better way that is in your will. We come today acknowledging our dependence on you, the goodness of you as creator and your creation, how you sustain us, how you are with us right now. As we breathe, you give us breath. As our hearts beat, you make them happen. Thank you. And we thank you that you reconcile all things. Lord, all things exist for you and by you and through you. So help us to walk with you and worship you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.